Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the I Am a Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined as always from the Columbia Bureau. Dave Matter joins us, and this is a brave day for Dave to be on the podcast because his uh, his kids are on home alone with him um, during a snow day. So if you hear any like uh, if you hear Dave rush out of the room, or if you hear any breaking plates or shrieking cat, that's 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 the result of the snow day. Dave, you're a brave man. Um, thank you for for taking the risk of joining us today. Well, the, the Nintendo is on right now, so as long as that's fired up and working, it's we should be able to get through a podcast without any major interruptions. But this, you never know. This might be the shortest podcast in the Eye on the Tigers podcast history. But but no, I'm I'm just teasing. Your kids are are awesome, and uh, and maybe maybe they will sneak in and make an appearance. We will uh, see. Stay tuned to see if one of the uh, one of the Matter twins makes an appearance on the podcast. Dave, let's start with hoops. Uh, man, a, a tough game for Missouri. In some ways, encouraging. They go on the road against number twenty five LSU, and they take them to the wire. They can't quite finish it. 82-78. They led for a good chunk of the game and really played a, a really a really strong first half that kept that arena basically dead silent. It got away from them, got a little wobbly toward the end of of the first half and I think that opened up too much of a door for LSU, but some encouraging signs with Xavier Pinson, with Trey Jackson especially, and for folks who are wondering, "Hey, where's the where's the where's the direction of this headed?" I think you're seeing parts of it start to to show up here later in the season. It's headed towards Xavier Pinson and Trey Jackson playing pretty important roles for this team moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I thought if you look at the scope of their entire season, it was probably one of the two or three or four best games they've played, and you even say that after a loss. I mean, considering on the road, LSU is still hanging in there in the, in the national rankings at 25, um, defending SEC champions. We know their starting five is loaded with talent. We, uh, who knows how legal it was to, to acquire those guys by Will Wade, but <laughs> he, has some, he has some serious talent on that team. And um, I, I thought Missouri played a great 32 minutes. You know, they led for almost 34 minutes, uh, got up to as many as 12. Everything was flowing their way. The tempo of the game was going their way. They're playing really well on both sides of the ball. LSU is a much better offensive team than defensive, but to Missouri's credit, they were hitting some outside shots, and I agree with you. They were they were at their best when Pinson was running the point and doing his thing and not giving the ball away, which he I think he only had one turnover in 30 minutes. Uh, he didn't shoot it very well, but he got to the free throw line. He got a bunch of assists. He got a bunch of rebounds. Uh, he's he's becoming a more consistent, reliable player. And I, I, you couple that with Drew Smith playing on the wing, not handling the ball quite as much, and he's dealing with a serious ankle injury. We've seen it now for a few games, but he's gotten through it. And uh, I, I just think they're that tandem is playing better. And they got solid play from uh, Reed Nico again, who is – you know, you look at these last few games. He's he's more effective, more efficient than than Jeremiah Tillman was against really weak competition at the beginning of the year. So that's a solid development. Um, they just couldn't finish. And I, I, at no point in that game did I feel like, oh, Missouri blew this. You know, they lost this game. I just felt like LSU played better down the stretch and played a little bit closer to its potential. And you know, they just have their best players are better than Missouri's best players, and they're going to win. You know, a higher percentage of games if those teams played each other ten times. But I do think it was it was growth for Missouri, and if we're not just looking at the scores at this point or the or the record, you want to see this team getting better. And the last two games, they certainly have. I would say only at LSU could a coach or his staff be caught on 
federal wiretaps talking about offers to players, but then you have Auburn, and so maybe it's just a <laughs> maybe it's just an SEC basketball thing. But I'm with you, man. Uh, look, it would have been great for for Missouri to pull out that stunning win on the road. It would have been their first top 25 road win in a, in a very long time. But I I think this team is. At times, this team is so hard to watch because the offense is just non-existent. Yeah. But when Xavier Pinson is locked in, it's fun to watch. He has the court vision of, uh, unlike any guard that we've seen at Missouri since, I mean, I'm go back to like Phil Pressey probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. he just sees things that other guys don't. Um, I think you have to continue to find him starts, find him minutes, whether he has good games or bad games, because now it's about growing. And he's going to be he's – he's a difference maker for for this team. I feel the same way about Trey Jackson, Dave, who Conzo went out of his way to praise. He, he was pretty tough on him earlier in the season, not that long ago, said his conditioning was not good enough to keep him in games. They liked his offense, but Conzo felt like he was giving up as many points on the defensive end. He's still a defensive liability a little bit, but his scoring is is – has the potential to be unlike many guys on this team. He could also get up. That that dunk that he put down was as high above the rim as I've seen a Missouri player get in a very long time. Um, he has some athleticism that this team severely lacks. Yeah, absolutely. He and Pinson play above the rim. Everybody else on this team <laughs> plays below the rim for the most part. I mean, Reed Nichols can get up and finish a dunk for you. Um, but they're just at a different level of athleticism. And if they can... And, and more so, Jackson, if he can kind of harness you know, that into more productivity, stay in the floor longer. He still has issue with fouls. Um, you know, he's a liability some defensively when he goes out there. Andy Kennedy on the broadcast was pointing that out, that uh, LSU was you know, trying to kind of funnel their actions toward him, uh, which is, you know, I, I, that's kind of the price you pay if you're Missouri having him out there. But the upside offensively is, is there, and you can see it. Uh, like you said, that one dunk he had. I mean, he's left-handed, but it looks it looks prettier when he goes up with his natural hand because it's it's a little unorthodox. But I mean, he he got fouled on it, but he came so close to just having an absolute highlight reel dunk there. Uh, and you know that uh, people were kind of skeptical of the comments that that Conzo made a couple weeks ago, a week ago or so about the conditioning aspect with with uh, with Jackson. I, I don't see why what the incentive would have had to be misleading about that there were was a game against Tennessee last month where Jackson was scoring the ball he had a pretty nice run there but he he pointed to the bench and said he needed a needed a break because he couldn't breathe uh, so I, I think there is something to that maybe less so now I think he's in better shape uh, he also just has his head up now he's got some confidence he's been able to do this against you know real competition so I don't think he's a guy you move into the starting lineup necessarily but he is somebody that is going to come off the bench sooner, it appears. I mean, he was he was in on the first substitution the other night at LSU, uh, and a guy that you know if you can keep him out of foul trouble and kind of monitor those minutes, he can he can really help this team. Drew Smith is a warrior. Um, I don't know that people realize how much pain he is in until that LSU game where he's literally hobbling, still finding ways to get his own misses and, and turn them into points on a putback. Um, he's a tough kid, and I think he's been playing with a uh, with, uh, bad wheel for a while now. Um, you mentioned Reed. I think Reed deserves uh, – I, I, I owe Reed uh, an apology because I thought we knew what his ceiling was, and I don't think we did. Um, he has quietly worked his butt off to get better and better. And right now, if you give me Jeremiah Tillman versus Reed Nico in a game with what we've seen out of Tillman this year, I'm taking Reed because he plays within the context of the offense, he defends, and he, you know, he doesn't derail games with foul trouble. 
I think he I think he deserves a lot of credit. Um, his his ceiling has been expanded kind of before our eyes this season. Um, ideally, it would be Tillman, but it's not. And Reed has taken advantage of that. And I think even impressed the coaching staff with what he's brought. That brings us to the injured guys, Dave. Jeremiah, who wasn't even on the trip at LSU, which I thought was interesting, um, and has not played since his return in what you know was like you know probably one of the worst games of Missouri's season that turned out to be. And also Mark Smith there um, went through warm-ups but didn't get the all-clear from Conzo Martin, um, sits on the bench and watches. What do you make of what's going on with Mark Smith's lower back and with Jeremiah Tillman's foot still? Yeah, it's interesting because Tillman missed eight straight games, and then he played at Texas A&M off the bench about 12 minutes. They had him on a pitch count, basically. They, they thought he could play between 10 and 12, and he was right there at 12. And he, he wasn't very comfortable. He didn't get a lot of touches offensively, uh, wasn't too aggressive with the ball. We talked to him the next day or a couple days later, and he said he felt like he was at about 80%, but really working hard to rehab. I mean, he gave every indication that he wants to keep playing, not that he wants to shut it down for the year or anything, um, but then the next day he doesn't play against Arkansas and they win and they, they and Reed Nickel has the best game of his career and then they go to LSU and he doesn't even make the trip like you said. So this thing is, I asked Conzo the other day, is this now more of a week to week thing with Jeremiah? And he said, yeah, basically that's it. And he, for both of these guys, it does sound like they've been cleared medically to play. And even after Arkansas, Conzo said, if this were a championship game, he'd probably be out there. But I think there's two things going on here. One, Conzo doesn't want to risk further injury for a guy for a game in February with a team that's sub-500 right now. Not to say these games are meaningless, but he always does have the best interest of, of the player out there. And also, there's this, I don't know how to define this baseline test that Conzo kind of gives injured players to determine if they're going to play or not. We, we heard this a lot with Michael Porter Jr. a couple of years ago when he was cleared late in the year, but we still weren't seeing him on the floor. Conzo talks about, I have to see it in their eyes that they're ready to play, and he hasn't quite seen it yet. I don't, I don't know how he measures that. Uh, I don't know if there's a science to it or if it's kind of a gut feel of what he sees in these guys to know if they're confident enough, comfortable on that injury to be able to help the team or not. But he clearly just hasn't seen it yet. They haven't passed whatever imaginary test that is. And I don't, I don't know when we're going to see, you know, either of those guys on the floor. They're, they're pl- finding ways to play well without them. That doesn't mean that they're not, they couldn't be useful out there. But other guys have kind of stepped up their game. Javon Pickett's played well. Mitchell Smith wasn't great offensively the other night, but he has had his moments. Uh, so yeah, I think they're they're finding ways on this undermanned team to make do. But you know, those guys are we're still going to monitor their situations here the rest of the season for sure. I wanted to switch gears to a couple football topics here, Dave. You had uh, a great story kind of tracing uh, the roots of Eli Drinkwitz's football staff. And I don't know if people realize how much of a, uh, of an SEC connection there is here going all to his time all the way back to Auburn. I think Missouri fans who are getting a feel for Drinkwitz have realized, hey, this guy seems to get it. Um, we see him doing some of the things that other you know known names in the SEC coaching circles do he's present on social media he seems relentless with this energy he wants the eyes on him he wants people to be talking about what he's doing even if there's no practices or games going on he just seems to get it and some of this might go back to what he experienced when he was at Auburn I had friends who covered Auburn at that time and they remember Eli Drinkwitz as this young 
um, almost like a high school looking type, which he doesn't look all that different now. Um, but yeah. but just a very young, very quiet, um, observing, uh, low level assistant who now is coaching the Missouri Tigers. But you had a great story recently that kind of said, hey. You know that time for him really impacted how he decides to make his hires now, and there are a lot of connections to those Auburn days for Eli Drinkwitz that we're seeing now at Missouri in, in really in really pivotal roles. Yeah, almost forty percent of his core staff, the ten assistant coaches, and you include him for eleven, uh, were on that 2010 Auburn staff when Auburn ran the table and won the national championship with Cam Newton. Uh, and and what's really interesting is. Up in the press box on game days, it was Curtis Looper, who was then the running backs coach, and then he w- was up there with three quality control assistant coaches, about the lowest level on the coaching ladder you can be. And that was Eli Drinkwitz, that was Casey Woods, who is now Missouri's tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator, and that was Eric Link, who is now their special teams coordinator. And so those are the coaches that are up in the booth on game days. And, and Looper, he was the veteran of, of that group a full-time assistant coach, and he said that Gus Malzahn, who was the head coach, would ask him, are you are you okay up there with that group? And he goes, I've got all the help I need. These guys are fine. Some real go-getters. And he was impressed back then. I, I, I can't imagine that they all sat there and thought, hey, 10 years from now, let's all coach together and reunite. But but Casey Woods did say that the younger coaches on that staff, they had, they've had this group text over the years, and kind of the running joke was, whoever gets there first, whoever becomes a head coach first, let's get this band back together because we've we've seen how it works. And sure enough, Drinkwoods gets the head coaching job first. At App State, he hired Link, but he didn't hire Woods. Now at Missouri, he did get the band back together and has all those guys from that press, those press box days, coaches booth days, on this Missouri staff. And I, I think it's important, not that he just found some old buddies and gave them jobs. They all got significant raises, by the way, from what they were making a year ago. But the fact is they were all on a staff that experienced success at the highest level. And I think that's the important common denominator there. And Drinkwitz has said, and Casey Woods has said this too, we've seen how it's done. We were a part of it. Not to say that the lowest level coaches on that staff were instrumental in Auburn winning the national title, but they firsthand saw what it takes every day on the job to build a, you know, have a winning culture and then a team that can, compete and win championships they know what it takes because they've seen it firsthand and i think that and, and the word that drink what this uses that's credibility and this staff or at least that portion of the staff that was together they earned that credibility um, by being a part of that championship team so i, I think that's that's really interesting and the fact that it's in, it was in the sec all these guys have backgrounds in the sec casey woods has lived his whole life in different sec states his dad was a head coach in the sec at south carolina so I, I think that that common DNA is can be really valuable for the staff as they come together under a, still a fairly young and untested head coach, but he's got guys around him that he really trusts, and even even others uh, that that weren't on that Auburn staff he has coached with before, including you know Bush Hamden, who was his co-coordinator with him at Arkansas State under Gus Malzahn back in I think 2013. So um, it it wasn't just a matter of him opening these jobs and just you know, hiring guys that had impressive resumes. These are guys that he trusts and knows from his 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 relatively short time as a as a college coach. 
and interesting too the connections and and footprints some of those guys have gone on to be able to have pretty strong ties to like they're all congregated on the plains there as young up-and-coming coaches well now they get back together and Hadman has recruiting you know has has recruited nationally but has a, a footprint in the Washington area where he came from you've got Looper who's really minds Texas which Missouri needs to and it plans to getting back to pulling top talent out of and and then you've got a guy like Woods who's basically you know spent a whole career in the SEC region I mean you've got some national reach there which is going to be kind of compelling um one other thing that we should talk on for football as we close this thing out Dave what do you make of this uh conversation about Ryan Walters potentially as a candidate for Colorado head coach that would seem to be a pretty big leap for Ryan after a short time as a defensive coordinator here but uh, he is has been mentioned by Bruce Feldman as a potential candidate in that discussion. Now, by the time you're listening to this, folks, maybe that has changed, and maybe there's maybe there's a different route, or maybe you know maybe Ryan Walters has been the guy. But it seems like uh, it seemed like a pretty big jump up for Ryan Walters, and that would be a blow for Missouri, considering that you know we know Drinkwitz is going to be the offensive guy, and he's trusting Ryan Walters to to take over that defense. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's one of those deals where the timing seems to kind of offset some of the um, maybe the fact that it, it is unusual that a guy still fairly young, you know, he's just 34. He's been a coordinator and didn't have great success really until last year when Missouri's defense made a lot of progress. But I think when you're talking about a coaching change in the middle of February, maybe some the usual suspects for a job. Um, you know, probably aren't available. So the names that Feldman has brought up, and these all make sense, are guys with Colorado roots. Eric Bieniemy, great former running back from there, has been in the NFL a long time, and obviously offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. Vance Joseph, former Denver Broncos head coach, another former Colorado player. Now I think he's the he's the uh, defensive coordinator with the Arizona Cardinals. And then Ryan Walters, who former Colorado safety. He's a second-generation Colorado Buffalo. His dad was a quarterback there in the late 80s under Bill McCartney. Uh, he was an assistant coach, student assistant there for a year. So that is his – he grew up in Los Angeles, but, you know, Colorado was is a big part of his background. Kind of like, you know, Barry Odom isn't from Missouri, but he spent a good amount of time in, uh, in Missouri's program. That's kind of the same way with Walter. So I wouldn't be shocked if he gets an interview um, just based on – his background and uh, compared to maybe some other names out there, more established guys, I'd, I'd be surprised if he were a leading candidate. But if you're Ryan Walters and you want to be a head coach, it'd be hard to pass up an opportunity at your alma mater. And I, I don't think they would pay a, a lot of money for that job. I mean, the, the reports are that Mel Tucker doubled his salary by leaving Colorado after one losing season as a head coach to be the head coach at Michigan State. <laughs> and, and Ryan did just sign a, a pretty nice uh, extension at Missouri, a new three-year deal. His salary's bumped up to 900000 uh, so he's the highest-paid assistant on Drinkwitz's staff. But obviously, as a head coach in the Pac-12, he'd make a little bit more than that. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, you know, it, it's bad timing for everybody when these things happen. You know, Missouri just signed a recruiting class, and Walters was in on a few of those guys, but it, you know, it'd be really hard to say no to your alma mater if they come calling in a situation like this. Well, how do you think the guys you just signed at Colorado feel? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it goes all around. So, it, and then it goes back to the guys at Michigan State who signed under D'Antonio. And yeah. 
he steps down, you know, right around signing day. Man, that's a, it makes for an interesting conversation in college sports when you've got uh, lawmakers clashing over this this notion that you know college athletes are too entitled and don't deserve any more uh, any more compensation while coaches continue to hop around jobs um, willy nilly after after signing guys to national letters of intent that they're they're not going to honor by being their coach. Uh, Man, we're we're in an interesting place here, Dave. I don't think we're going to solve it uh, on this episode of the Island Tigers podcast, but I do have something that will make people happy. Hopefully, um, I wanted to to remind our listeners that we have a digital promotion subscription going on right now. You can get forty, you can get an entire Cardinals season um, of a digital subscriptions worth for just forty five dollars. Just go to stltoday.com slash forty five. If you think about it, that's only five dollars per month through October. That gives you all access to not just Cardinals coverage, but all of our coverage here at the Post-Dispatch and stltoday.com, including some subscriber-only articles that are not going to be able to be accessed um, for, for sports readers who do not have a subscription online. So just $45 for an entire Cardinals season. Go to stltoday.com slash 45. One other quick housekeeping thing to mention is that we're upgrading kind of our podcast uh, system here at the post dispatch to make it easier to embed our podcast into articles things of that nature you're really not going to mo- notice that much of a difference if you're a usual subscriber listener so i don't want to freak anybody out but if you have some sort of issue with losing your subscription to the podcast if you go and it's all of a sudden not coming automatically to your feed make sure that you're you're subscribed and if it somehow bumped you off resubscribe um, and uh, make sure that you get that flow continuing so we don't expect any glitches but just in case we want to make sure that people are keeping an eye out for that dave is there anything else we should hit on before we run here i don't think so big day saturday and sunday at mizzou arena red panda is in the house (laughs) not just for the men's game but on saturday but the women's game they play florida on sunday so a double header of red panda which is you know it may just be the biggest weekend of the year in columbia absolutely i've heard that she's been off her game a little bit lately letting a few bowls drop so be sure to hold her accountable if she uh if she slips up dave and uh, hey give a give a uh give a piece of candy to the matter twins for uh for their uh, patience and letting us knock this out on a snow day so you better go uh, build a snowman and uh, we will uh we'll talk to you here soon all right thanks ben that's dave for for Ben, for the Post-Dispatch, this has been another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast. Remember that digital promo subscription we have, $45 for an entire Cardinal season. Go to stltoday.com slash 45. We will talk to you next week.